Okay, good morning everyone. If you've got a Bible, can you turn to Genesis chapter 39? Genesis chapter 39. We're going to be continuing our series through uh, Genesis, through the back end of Genesis, looking particularly at the life of Joseph, a young man, quite a famous man in Old Testament circles. A lot of people have heard of him. They made a musical about him, so you've got to be someone if they do that about you. Um, and what, let me give you the story so far. In our first sermon, we've had a, a few so far. If you've missed them, they're all on our website. You can catch up. We looked back in Genesis chapter 12, where God came to a man named Abraham, and he gave him some great and amazing promises about multiplying his offspring, giving him land, and basically through him blessing the nations of the world, which is a pretty good starter for 10 if God comes, God comes and says something to you. And we see that promise is then carried on through his son Isaac, through his son Jacob, and then Joseph is now the son of Jacob. So it's gone down several kind of generations of the family, but it has not been plain sailing at all for the families. If you look at the story and you read it through, we've had lies and deception. We've had people trying to force God's hands, force the promise, which involves sleeping with maidservants and not having natural children. We've had uh, murderous intentions between brothers, and Esau tried to kill Jacob because Jacob deceived daddy over all sorts of stuff. And so we've had, we've had lots of ups and downs in this story. Um, we come to Jacob. Jacob has many sons, and one of them was Joseph, the hero of our story. And um, Joseph was his favorite which is not really good as a parent when you've got lots of sons. Joseph was his favourite and he gave him the coat for which he is famous for, a very ornate robe which obviously made him stand out with his brothers. And so he was the, kind of, he was the top dog around and everyone knew he was daddy's favourite, which the brothers kind of resented. He told tales on his brothers. Again, if you've got brothers and they tell tales on you, not good. Can't, doesn't actually endear you to him. Um, and what's more, God spoke to Joseph in dreams. And Joseph had these magnificent dreams, which then, being a young, arrogant man, he told his brothers, and he said, I had a dream, and in the dream, God said, you're all going to bow down to me. And I can imagine the brothers being really not happy with him. And then he had another dream where he said, actually, not only my brother's going to bow down to me, my dad is going to bow down to me as well, which kind of annoyed dad as well. So he was, he was not doing, you know how to make friends and influence people? He had not read that book. Okay, that was just something that was not on his radar. And this then culminated in the brothers deciding we are going to kill Joseph. We just, we've got to that point with him, we are just, we're going to kill him. We've had enough of him, we're going to wipe him out, we're going to lie to daddy, we're going to say an animal kind of got him, a wild animal killed him, and, and then we're just going to, we're going to do away with him, then we'll see what comes of his dreams. In the process, they decide actually not to kill him, the elder brother Reuben speaks up, um, and so what they do instead is they make some money out of him. They sell him to slave traders, which is kind of not killing him, but it's still pretty, pretty bad. So they sell him to slave traders, and he off, goes off down to Egypt, being sold as slave traders. And the brothers then go back to Daddy, go back to Jacob, and say, look, here's, a, here's, a, here's his robe, which we took off him. They dipped it in some animal blood, and they kind of let the story go out there, saying that actually he'd been killed with a wild animal. And Jacob, the father, is suitably distraught at the loss of his favorite son. And so that's where the story was. Um, and that we found that at the 27, uh, end of chapter 37. Chapter 38, we're not going to look at. That's a bit of an interlude. And we're going to pick the story up now with Joseph in Egypt. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase, if life gives you lemons, what are you meant to make? 
lemonade. If life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. And it's a little bit of a trite kind of saying. And the, the point behind it is, if, if life gives you lemons, something bad happens to you, or something difficult comes along, something that's not good because lemons are sour, and so they're not, they're not sweet to taste, you do something with them, and so you make lemonade, which is the idea is that's good. So you take a bad situation, and you make it good. And Joseph, it would be fair to say, got some lemons right now. If you're in Joseph's position, and you were like, describe your situation to us, Joseph. And he said, well, got a bunch of brothers who I thought we got on with. They planned to kill me. And then... They actually didn't kill me, but they sold me into slavery, so I'm now kind of gone. I'm in a foreign land, a foreign culture, um, and then they went back to my daddy, and they lied about what they did. You would probably be fair to say to Joseph, he got a bunch of lemons there. He got a very bad situation, but we'll see this passage, how Joseph kind of deals with this situation and how we process it and how a little bit of lemonade seems to come out of it. So have you got Bible chapter 39, verse 1? Now... Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master." His master saw the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and he made him the overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Okay, big idea this morning is whether life is good or bad, God is with us and working his purposes out. Whether life is good or bad, God is with us and working his purposes out. So the story is, Joseph has been, pu- been purchased. He's a slave. Got no rights. He's been purchased from the traders by this man named Potiphar. His position of privilege, his position of influence has gone. He is now, um, he's like almost like a piece of furniture. And he's just been, he's just been kind of, Sold on, he has got no rights and he's got no say and he ends up with this house Potiphar. And so the position of the robe of being number one son, all been left with him. And it's interesting what is not in the account in Genesis. How does Joseph react to this? It doesn't say that he gets caught up in bitterness and unforgiveness, which I can imagine I would be if my brothers decided to do that. I have two brothers I can be in that position if I asked, um, if I said to them, if they tried to kill me and sell me into slavery, I would get wound up. He didn't. He just seemed to get on with what had, God had given him, the task he was hand. He was now being sold into this house, and it said, kind of, he just got to work and got on with it. And he was sold to this man who seemed quite an important man. Potiphar, he was the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, so he, he got sold to someone who obviously could afford to have servants, afford to have slaves, and he was now in his household, and he just continued to work there. And it says he became 
a successful man. The Lord was his church, and he became successful. Now, what does this look like? We're not completely sure. But obviously, he'd been given a task in the house. He clearly wasn't working in the fields. He was working in the house. And he could have been started with cleaning, uh, preparing food, uh, sorting something out. Do you know what I mean? With the master. And he obviously went at it, and God blessed him and gave him success in what he was doing. And the Lord made, uh, the, sorry, the, the, the writer makes very clear it was because the Lord was with him. The Lord was behind it. He was the author of Joseph's success. If we look back in Genesis, God had promised Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and now his sons that he would be with them. He would bless them. He would cause them to grow and multiply as a people. And we can see, even in Joseph's difficult situation of being a slavery, the promises of God are still working. They are still growing. He is, he is, going, he is gaining success. And it's, it's actually, if you look in verse, I think it's verse 2, where it says, Joseph had great success, but he was still under an Egyptian master. So in one sense, you could look at Joseph's position and say, nothing's going right for me. I'm still a slave. Yet even in that position of slavery, being under the control of someone else, God is blessing him, and he is becoming successful in all that he does. And what it's more is that as he's kind of working and the Lord is with him, his master notices his master notices what's going on with him. He notices that he is, a, he is being successful. And it's like, what's going on? I've bought this slave. He's come into my house. He seems to be going very well. There's something about this young man that is, is kind of greater than some of my other servants that are working. There's something going on there. And maybe it was the quality of Joseph's work, what he was putting in. Maybe he was doing something um, and he was just being successful at it. Maybe he was responsible for going to buy the food from the market or something for the household. But there was something about what he was doing that his master knows that he's doing a really good job at that. It's really high quality what he's doing. He's causing it success for himself, which actually in turn for my household that I'm running is a positive thing. It's being successful. And so Joseph not only has the favor of God, he has the favor of man. And his master's looking on in favor, thinking, man, this guy is doing really well. He's a blessing to have around. He's, been, he's got a heavenly master that he is serving and being blessed like, but that then is followed by an earthly master who is, who is um, being successful, and he is noticing, and he, he proceeds to bless him and acknowledge what's going on. And Joseph is promoted. Not quite sure how that happens with slaves, how you promote slaves, because they all still seem to be slaves or servants in the house. But he is promoted, which means he must be given authority over others in the household. He's given more and more responsibility by Potiphar because he sees that Joseph is doing a great work and God is on him. And it seems like he becomes the personal aid to the master of the house. And eventually it says that he is kind of, he's in charge of the household. He's been kind of promoted from, obviously, coming at the bottom of the, the kind of the organizational pyramid. And he's slowly moving up levels because of what it is. And he is, um, he is having great favor. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you found the favor of God upon you, almost inexplicably, and you found yourself kind of promoted and put into all sorts of situations. I remember when I came, um, to, we moved to Sutton Coalfield, and we basically knew no one in the city. Uh, Mel and I had moved up. We had one, our eldest son, Levi, was eight months old. Uh, Joe and Anna had just moved, and we're expecting a few more people to move in the next kind of three months. But at the moment, there were like four and a half of us as part of this church trying to get it going. And it was like, we don't know anybody in this, um, this city. We need to go and meet some people. We need to make some friends. I was doing a few days a week for the church. I was working uh, as a... Um, 
supply teacher. I'm trained as a primary school teacher, so I was doing a little bit of that. And everyone was saying, we're just trying to meet people, we're just trying to get connected. What's God doing here? Where's it going? And um, one of the things I do for exercises, I do karate. Um, I've been doing that kind of on and off since I was a teenager. And I came up here and I thought, I need to go and find a class to go and join. I need to do some exercise. I want to get flabby. I'm getting older. And I phoned up one and said, can I come along and train with you? And he said, what's your background? And I told him a little bit what I'd done. And then he said to me, he said, I want you to come to my invite-only class where I only train my black belts. And I said, well, I'm not black belt. I'm <laughs> not that good. I've only been doing it a little while. And he said, no, I want you to come along. And it turns out there were England squad members who trained it in class. And I'm like, oh, okay. Really not want to come along to this class now. So I went along and I started training, and he just he got me right into there. He, he put me in with his other instructors. He then said, well, you're, you're doing quite well. Do you want to teach one of my classes? Do you want to teach some of the little ones what they're doing? And from that, I was shown the favor of God incredibly in that situation when I was a total stranger. Moved in from, you know, a southerner, moved up here to plant this church, and the favor of God just opened door after door after door, and I still cannot explain it to this day. And I don't know what, if you've ever been in a situation like that where God has just blessed you and promoted you and given you favor with people that you don't even know and caused you to be a success. It's an incredible thing. But the interesting thing is it always comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from us. And Joseph's presence in Potiphar's house was blessed by God. If you read that passage, it comes up again and again that the success came from God, not from any other source. It doesn't mention about Joseph. It mentions about the blessing of God. And in turn, who gets blessed? Potiphar and his house. And he gets blessed and he recognizes that blessing and he promotes Joseph. Well, if I promote you, hopefully I'll get more blessing. That's probably his thinking. If I raise you up, I'll get more and more blessing. And we see by the end of it that Joseph has uh, been kind of got to the highest point in the household and he is kind of right up there. And the only thing that Potiphar is now bothered about is the food he eats. He says, Joseph runs everything. He's effectively, um, I don't know what you'd call it, kind of like executive director or something of the household, and there's only one guy above him, the master, and he is running everything, and God's blessing on him has brought him to that place. And all this is is an outworking of God's promises. If you go back and read the stories, you find the stories of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob himself, who went in situations and they were blessed by God. Their flocks multiplied when others didn't. Um, great and great. There's a great story with Jacob and his crooked uncle Laban and how actually his flocks multiplied quicker than his uncle's and because God's blessing was on him. So it's merely the promises of God being worked out. What can we learn today? Three things I want us to, point, uh, to take away today that we can learn from this. Number one. The Lord is with us no matter the circumstances. The Lord is with us no matter the circumstances. If you go to verses 2 and 3, right at the beginning of that, if you read that, if you're an underliner in your Bible, underline those bits in the Bible. The Lord was with Joseph. Joseph was at the lowest point of his life at that, at there to, to date. He had been brothers to try to kill him, had beaten him up, they'd sold him into slavery, but it was very clear that God was with him. God was with him at that point. And the author of that wants to know it. He actually underlines it by keep coming back to it. God is with him. God is with him. And in the darkest time in his life, God was with him. And God wants us to know that today. I don't know what situation you're going through. I don't know what your life is like now. I don't know how good it is or how bad it is because in this passage, in the space of six verses, we have highs and lows. Starts with a low that gets higher, and if you know the story, it's about to get very, very low in the next few verses, but we'll come to that next time. 
God was with him no matter what. Whether everything's going well, everything's going good. And it's the message of the Bible. If you read through the Bible, that God is with his people. Jesus said, Matthew 28, when he sent out the disciples, the Great Commission, go into all the nations, preach the good news to every tribe, every people, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what does he say at the end? And I am with you always to the very end of the age. I will always be with you. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, Hebrews 13.5, which is a quote from Deuteronomy. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, says the Lord. I will always be with you. And I don't know what it's like in your life, but what do you feel about God being with you in difficult times? In good times and bad times, but it's sometimes the difficult times when we most kind of look for it. I don't know about you, but I've often found in the most difficult times in my life, I felt the presence of the God most closely. When things have been going hard and I've actually been forced to kind of look outside myself and say, God, where are you? Have I felt the presence of God most closely? And Joseph, here in a very troubled time, knows the presence of God with him. And what's your situation right now? What's your situation in your workplace? What's the situation in your family life? What's the situation in your finances? What's the situation in your health? What's the situation in your relationships with your spouses, your children, with your friends, your family? Are you in a position where you would point yourself in trouble? Where you would say, things are not looking good. I've been given a plate full of lemons in this situation. And I think the truth that God wants us to know this morning is God is with you. God is with you. If you're facing kind of a crossroads in, his li- in your life, do I go this way? Do I go that way? Or even sometimes you face a crossroad and you can't see anything. I don't know which way to go. God is with you. I remember for us, we've been living here in Sutton Cole for four and a half years now, and we felt the pressure on our family, uh, Melanie and I, like never before. We felt pressure on our relationship um, as a married couple, we felt pressure on our parenting um, of our, our two small boys. We felt pressure on work. When I used to work two jobs, and even now I only work one job for the church, it's still under a pressured situation. We've had the pressure of raising small kids, uh, in, a, in a kind of just going through all that that involves, sleepless nights, etc., etc. We faced kind of the loneliness from leaving a big church for a safe coming and starting here. We've been under pressure, it feels like, from day one in every particular situation. And we've been on this kind of roller coaster. Sometimes it gets better, sometimes it gets worse. But I can tell you from someone who's kind of lived through that, God never left us. God was with us every single step of the way. And sometimes we couldn't see it, sometimes it was hard. It's like, where are you, Lord? But he was with us. And I know that because the Bible promises that. I know that because that's what the Bible says. That's what Jesus promised himself. He said, I'll send you one, the counselor, who will be with you for ever. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to leave you. And as we went through that time and we had to pray and we had to hold on to God's word, we knew his presence with us. And so I come to you now and say, where are you in your situation? Whether things are going well, you're at the top of the heap, or you're down the bottom and you're struggling, do you know God God is with you? Let me make a couple of suggestions for you. First thing, I would suggest learning some memory verses. Scripture, learning scripture so you just know it is a great skill, very important skill. Hebrews 13.5, if you're taking notes, write that down. Go learn it. It's only about six or seven words. It's a dead easy one. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Everyone say that after me. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. 
Oh, that was terrible. I mean, that was ghastly. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. There you go. You've learned a memory verse this morning. If you go out and think that preacher was rubbish, at least you learned scripture for, for um, a brief moment there. Remember, so I suggest get that in there. Pray that to yourself every day, several times every day. Remind yourself, whatever you're facing, God is with you. Pray for the Holy Spirit to be with you. Jesus said, I'll be with you, but he also said, keep praying, keep asking. Paul says that in Ephesians. Be filled with the Spirit and keep being filled. Don't stop. Ask God daily to fill you, empower you for whatever you're kind of going through. Do these kind of things. Get prayer today. We're going to have a time of worship in a minute. I'm sure there'll be opportunities to pray. If you're feeling like, I need someone just to stand with and pray me because I'm facing a situation like Joseph where it just seems way beyond me. Get someone to pray with you. And then the second thing I'll suggest out of there is just like Joseph did, get to work. Get on with whatever God's put in front of you. Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, whatever you do, do as if you're working for the Lord. So wherever God's put you, Joseph worked that out. Joseph was now was the slave at the bottom of the rung in the household, just been carted from another, lang- from another sort of culture. We don't even know if he knew the language at that point. And he got thrown in, and what happened? He started working, he just got on with it. And whatever God gave him to do, he was successful. He clearly had to do something. So wherever you are, whatever you're facing, cling on to God, cling on to God, hold on to him, and then get on with whatever's in front of you. Move forward, because you know his love never fails, and he will always be with you. Number two thing I want to take away from this is all success we have comes from God. All success we have comes from God. I think verses 2, 3, 5, and twice in verse 5, so that's four times in six verses, it attributes Joseph's success to the Lord. He was super successful. One of the things actually we look in Joseph, actually through his life, he didn't seem to ever do anything wrong in terms of kind of his activity. If you go through the stories here, and then even when he's in the prison, and even when he's before Pharaoh, it always seems to go right for him. But it always comes back to God blessing him. And the author wants to make us clear, whatever success we have in life, however you define that, ultimately comes from God, and is ultimately attributed to God. What have you achieved in your life to date? You might think, well, um, job. You know, I've got a job, I've got a good job, I've got a salary, I've got a promotion in that situation. I'm on a career trajectory, a career path that goes in a certain direction. What about relationships, marriage, children? Successful there, I've been married this long, I've had this. This is my children are growing up and they're turning into kind of wholesome human beings, um, which is great. What about kind of possessions and the home you live in and the car you drive and the holidays you go on and the stuff you have in your house that you can afford to buy because you've earned money? All those kind of things. What about the friendships you have and the people you know and the fun you have and the kind of just the way your life works out? I want to say very clearly right now, all of that is from God. All of it's from God. Because even the kind of the brains you were given, the personal skills you were given, the very breath in your body right now that you're breathing in and out to enable you to achieve that is from God. He's the one who literally sustains your life in this moment. And if he stopped, you would die. That's it. It all comes from God. Even in a spiritual sense, 
We could say, I've walked with the Lord this many years. I read my Bible. I pray. I pray for the sick. I've seen them get well. I've led friends to the Lord. I, I serve in a ministry. I have a calling in what God has you know, brought me to. All of that ultimately is from Him, and it's all by His grace. And so whatever we have in our life... Ultimately, he is the source and he's the one that we go back to. Even our own salvation. The Bible says it's by grace you've been saved. It's not through you. It's a gift of God. Even the faith you had is by grace, it says. So ultimately, we've got, what that means is we've got no room to boast. There's no ground that we can stand on to say, well, hey, look at me, aren't I awesome? And there's no way we can feel superior to anybody else. I can't feel better than you because of what I've achieved. And you can't feel better than me in what you've achieved. Because ultimately, it comes from God. And God has given you grace to be where you are. Even us as a church. You look about what God's done with us and where we're going and what's happened. And some of the stories we can tell about how God's changed people's lives and used us. That's all for his glory, not for ours. What should we do with this? My, 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 can I make a suggestion to you, which is something I did as um, I was preparing this and kind of working this out. And as I was preparing this and writing these notes down, I had to kind of make an evaluation in my own life because I can't just kind of yell at you the whole time and tell you to do stuff. I thought I have to start at home. And so what I did was I kind of did a, um, a, a checklist in my life of all the things I had achieved or been a successful or something I was kind of, yeah, look what that happened. And I went through them all kind of mentally and ticked them off and said, thank you, God, for doing that in my life. Thank you, God, that you gave me that, that you allowed me to have that, that you, you gave me the kind of the home I live in and the, my wife and my kids and this church and all the things that happened over the previous 25 years of my life um, beforehand. And I would encourage you to do that. Go through your life. Start even start now, ticking it off. Anything in your life that you think, wow and good, go and praise God. Give him thanks for it. Acknowledge his kind of power in your life, his grace in your life. We do it uh, with our kids every night. We try and say, what are we thankful for today before bedtime? What can we give thanks to Jesus for today? And the kids always come up, so, and they're always left field, but they're trying. You know, they're always like, we thank you, Jesus, for ice cream. Because we had ice cream for dinner. Okay, fine. Thank you, Jesus, for ice cream. And we thank you for our friends, and thank you for school. And Levi's favorite moment is show and tell. He does show and tell at school on a Monday, and his world revolves around show and tell. And I don't understand why, but he does. He just loves it. He's the only child I know who wishes away the weekend so he can go to school Monday and do show and tell. He literally says, Daddy, am I going to show and tell today? No, it's Saturday. You can do it Monday after Sunday. And today, is it show and tell today? No. You've got another whole another day off before you go to school and do show and tell. But he's so thankful for being able to do show and tell and take some, some of his toys in and show and talk about it. But it's, it's good to get in a thankful lifestyle. In my journal, I try and write in my journal most days. And I've got to the end now just reflecting on what God's done. But I put at the bottom, I write thankful for dot dot. And then always write at least two or three things that I'm thankful for that God has done and try and attribute success to him and not to me. And actually, God, you've done this. You've got me this. You've got me this far. You've done this in my life. So let us be a thankful people because let's be honest, we have much to thank God for, don't we? We have much to give him thanks for, much to kind of appreciate for the success and the, the favor he's put on our lives. Last one. Number three, God's plans often start small. God's plans often start small. God gave massive plans, uh, promises to Abraham. He said to Abraham, I'm going to make you a mighty nation. 
Abraham had one natural son, hardly a mighty nation. That then went down to Isaac, his son, and then Jacob, and Jacob's got a bunch of sons. Jacob has 12 sons in the end, hardly a mighty nation. But the promises of God stand firm to ever, forever. And although they start small, they're going to go forward. If you follow the storyline of the Bible, God's plans come to fruition. And the nation of Israel through Abraham grows into a great mighty nation. And then we read through the New Testament and we find actually by faith we are heirs of Abraham. So the offspring of Abraham are all believers around the world now. Which number, how many? A billion plus? So that's a pretty big, mighty nation that's come through God's promises, but it starts small. God's promises, God's plans start small. And I don't know what God's called you to. I don't know what you're kind of living with in your life, but don't despise kind of small beginnings. This church, if you look around who we're here now, this church initially began with just a handful of us in a front room looking at each other thinking, oh my giddy aunt, (laughs) what have we done? And yet God has slowly added to us and we've grown bit by bit. And whatever God's called you to in this life, you might think it's a long way off. I can't see it. The things that you're living with, the things, the plans that you have, he's spoken to you. Don't despise small beginnings because Joseph here, in his story, if you project it forward, he's going to save his family from, from starvation. He's the one who's going to save the nation of Israel as it was at that time, which was just his extended family. God is going to use him, but at the moment here, he is in prison, and it's all going kind of, not prison, sorry, he's in uh, slavery, he'll be prison later, uh, so it gets worse. Um, He's in this slavery, and it looks so small and so distant, but whatever God's called you to, keep going in that, keep going in that, keep going in the fact that it doesn't look like it is now, because God can change situations in an instant. We'll see that in Joseph's life. He will go from zero to hero, literally overnight because of the plans of God have kind of come to fruition and he's working out. Even us as a church, we're sworn out. God's called us to great things, I believe. Um, and I can't, you know, you look out there and you think, really? Um, but we're slowly moving towards that. And ultimately, what's this plan going to end up in? It's going to end up in Jesus Christ. That's where this story is going. That's where we always, when we look at the Old Testament, we always got to project it forward to the New Testament, to Jesus himself, because the bottom line is Jesus is a better Joseph. Jesus is a better Joseph, and he's the one he's looking forward to. And how did Jesus start? He came to the earth as a baby, born of a single mum, a virgin, into relative poverty, into total obscurity. He was kind of, he was sort of, you wouldn't even known the king of kings had come to earth kind of at his birth. Everyone sort of missed it. You know, there were a few shepherds and some guys came from the east, and that was kind of it. Straight after his birth, what happened? There was a murder plot set against him by Herod, wasn't there? Just like Joseph, they tried to kill him. And what did they have to do? They fled. Where did they go? Egypt. Jesus is a better Joseph. But out of him, out of Christ, the nations of the earth got blessed because he was the, the fulfillment of that promise to Abraham. And then we are the result of that promise. So ultimately, whatever God's doing in your life right now, whether you think it's big, whether you think it's small... Ultimately, we come back to Jesus and he is going to work his purposes out. He's going to be with you. He's going to work through you. And any success you have in your life will ultimately be attributed to him. And however small you feel now and whatever the plans are and wherever you stand there, God is going to work them out through you. And he will do it and he will bring it to fruition because it's his plan ultimately and not yours and not mine.
Amen? Do you want to stand up? Let's worship Jesus. Can the band come? Do you want to just close your eyes? I'll just have to pray into some of those things and see if we can earth it in your life. This is going to get... To kind of process some of these things, it means being a little bit vulnerable before God. And so ultimately, that's where you've got to be vulnerable, not before us, for men, but before God. And I'd just like to just pray and process some of these things with you. So maybe you want to close your eyes if you open your hands, if that's how it works for you. Whatever it means for you to put your focus on Jesus. But I want to start with a kind of idea of sort of when life gives you lemons. And that God's with you. If you're in a situation now where you feel that kind of, that low, that difficulty, that where are you God? feel like Joseph who's kind of been sold into slavery, sold down the river. He's now in a foreign land, a foreign country. He would have been lonely, vulnerable, you know, scared, fearful. What's going to happen to him? Maybe you're in a position of just, I don't know what the next step is. I can't see it. I'm at a crossroads and it's just fog in front of me. And I'm just like, Lord Jesus, where are you? What's going on? I want to just pray for you. So if that's you, I just want you to acknowledge that before God. You just have to name it before God and say, that's me, Lord, and this is the situation. The irony is he knows it anyway, <laughs> but it's good to just kind of take a, also like, a like, like, like acknowledge it before him. That's what he's waiting for, you to own your own situation. And I just want to say to you in your situation, backed up by the words of Scripture, God is with you. God is with you. And I want to say today, Lord, thank you that you are with us as a people corporately as a group now, but also individually as we kind of scatter from here and go into our lives. You're with us in our workplaces. You're with us in our relationships at home and with kind of family outside. You're with us in our financial situations. You're with us in our health and everything goes on. You're with us in our learning and kind of on our education and our career development. You're with us in our decision making where we go, do we go left? Do we go right? I just don't know. And if you're in that situation now, just, just remind yourself of truth. Say, say, say to yourself, God is with me. God is with me. I am not alone. I can never be alone. Because <laughs> he will never leave you or forsake you. He will be with you always to the end of the age. Lord Jesus, I thank you for that, Lord. And I thank you that you are working your plans and purposes out, even when we can't see them. It seems with the purposes of God, you only sort of work them out afterwards when you look back. Lord, and I thank you now that you are working your purposes out in your people. Lord, and I thank you that you have good plans for us and that you will ultimately cause us to succeed like Joseph. It might not look like the same. I bet Joseph wasn't expecting to become a slave. <laughs> but ultimately, you will work things out for your good, for your glory and our development as followers of you. Lord, and I thank you for that truth. And if it's you there, you need to take hold of that truth and grab hold of it and never let it go and just say God you are with me just say that to yourself you are with me right now and when I go it's not any more special because we're here together but just say God you're with me thank him for that truth thank him for that truth and Lord I want to pray for us as a church and say Lord Jesus I thank you you're with us as a corporate people Lord we thank you that you have plans for us as a church to move us forward, Lord. We thank you that they're great plans, Lord. And we thank you that whatever happens, 
will point back at you and say it was all about him and it was all for him and he did all this because we're just not that smart. God's people said, Amen. Over to you.